0: Jesus, I crave to know you to know you will satisfy my soul. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 176. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. And as we continue to read from Understanding Biblical End Times, this is part 7, We will be reading from the uh, closing portion of uh, the book uh, from the Frequently Asked Questions, picking up on page 65. I want to take this next section to address Frequently Asked Questions about the end times and challenge us to go back to biblical foundations. I realize that opinions and viewpoints will be wildly differing. I also realize that many people are so fixed in their thinking, they will not even entertain notions that counter their own. My hope through this is that people will take a step back from what they, quote, know, and allow the Bible to speak for itself. I also have shared the traditional view of the rapture, tribulation, and the return of the Lord. It was not until God began to teach me what Daniel 9 was about that I began to question what I have always been taught. As I embarked on the journey of looking at Scripture through fresh eyes, it wasn't until then that I started to see things in a different light, and I believe a correct light. I will point out once again that even though each of us may understand these matters differently, it does not lessen our relationship with God, nor should it lessen our relationship with one another. Understanding the end times does not affect our relationship and eternity with God through Christ. Question 1 has the fulfillment of end times been reached in prophetic scripture? Some see A.D. 70 and A.D. 132-136 as the fulfillment of end times judgment and tribulation. I believe that A.D. 70 fulfilled the prophecy of Matthew 24. I believe that 132 through136 AD fulfilled the prophecy of Daniel chapter 12. We mistakenly apply our current day to what was prophesied to the people of Jesus' day. The most challenging verse to reconcile to my proposed stance is Matthew 24:31, which says, quote, "And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other." End quote. We immediately think of the last trumpet call and the dead in Christ rising when we hear this verse. The word gather here is the Greek word episenago. This word means to gather, gather together besides, also bring together to others already assembled, and gather together against, and gather together in one place. This is a different word than what we have already discussed in Harpazo, that is, caught up. I believe this is where Jesus is telling his people, Israelites, that they will once again be gathered together with one another. During the above persecutions, A.D. 70 and A.D. 132-136, through 136, the Jews would have been driven out to the, quote, four winds from one end of heaven to the other, end quote. This is to say the Jews have been pushed out across the whole earth. I confidently believe that Matthew twenty-four thirty-one is speaking of the Jews being regathered together as a people and not gathering the bride of Christ to himself. For the sake of time, I will not go into great detail about the events surrounding AD 132-136 and the destruction by Hadrian. Daniel 12:11 through 12 says, quote, "...and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days." "'Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days.'" Quote. Hadrian built the Temple of Jupiter in A.D. 135. Roman historian Cassius Dio wrote that Hadrian built his temple upon the Jewish Temple Mount, Hadrian also erected a statue of himself on horseback and placed it in front. Hadrian made himself the object of worship. Hadrian's predecessor, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, in 175-164 BC, desecrated the temple by offering in it a pig sacrifice upon the altar to Zeus. Parts of many historical scenarios fit very well to prophetic scripture. While some portions do not work well enough, there is this issue of the 1290 and 1335 days. According to scholars, The last days of the functioning Jewish temple would have been in the days of Hadrian. I think it critical for us to use that period as our origin basis for what the Scripture refers to. In Daniel 12, it tells us that, "...and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days." Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Quote. According to historical records, Hadrian died July tenth, 138 A.D. Hadrian erected the abominable temple in 135 A.D. If you add 1,290 days from the erecting of the abominable temple, you end up around 138 AD, the year of Hadrian's death. 45 additional days beyond that, 1,335 days, past the building of the temple, I believe coincides with the next emperor and antoninus who repealed many of the mandates by hadrian that targeted the jewish people antonius permitted the jewish dead to be buried from the slaughter that occurred in ad 132 through 136 the jews had previously had been previously required to leave their dead on the ground unburied by order of Hadrian. Antoninus also permitted the Jews to practice their religion. The ones who arrive at the 1,335 days are blessed. I believe this to be speaking of the favor that would once again return to the Jewish people, embodied here by the political freedom given by Rome through Antinus. I hold firmly that this is not speaking of an end-time tribulation that marks a period that we are looking for in our day. Humanity always desires for attention to be placed on them, and contemporary American Christianity is no different. Question number two. Will the church be present during the tribulation? The church has always been present during and among great tribulation. In fact, the church has become purer and stronger during times of hardship rather than times of complacency, comfort, and ease. Too many scriptures exist in the New Testament regarding persevering during difficult times to cling to the idea that we will be raptured out before any potential great persecution. James one twelve says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Galatians 6.9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. Second 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Romans 12.12 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. These scriptures are just a small sample of what the Bible tells us about persevering during tribulation and hard times. We should let go of the thinking that we will be taken away to avoid any significant testing that God permits to occur. I also want to address the idea that darkness and light will increase during the last days, while this helps us to be encouraged by the light and explains the darkness around us, I do not believe it maintains sound teaching. Let me elaborate. In Matthew 5:14 through 16, Jesus says, "You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand." And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now imagine for a moment that you are in a pitch black room. There is no light source. Strike a match and see the room light up. Light a candle and see the room stay Lit. Now, depending on the size of the room, the concentration of light will be brightest near the source. And as you get further from the light source, it will get darker until finally only darkness will exist. Now, at what point can darkness overtake the light? If light increases, how can darkness increase? that is illogical. Christianity is not opposed or counter to logic. God put logic into existence. We are not, however, limited to understanding based on our logical sense. To say it another way, logic exists, but logic does not dictate our understanding. It can guide it. If the light is expanding Darkness cannot expand in the presence of light. The only way light does not affect darkness is if a basket is placed over the light. The kingdom of God is like yeast mixed into a batch of dough. At what point can the dough become less mixed with the yeast as the baker turns the yeast into the dough? The yeast is added And there is no turning back. It is just a matter of time before the yeast is fully mixed and affects the entire batch of dough. Is there ever a time when the dough becomes less mixed? This is a logical impossibility. The same is true of the advancement of God's kingdom darkness does not gain ground on light. You may agree that nothing can decrease the ground that God takes, but you may have trouble believing that the growth of darkness cannot overgrow the kingdom of light. You may say, look around and see how things are getting worse, not better. No doubt we are in trying and difficult times. I would argue that things are improving, not worsening. If you hesitate to agree with that statement initially, it's because you are looking at a small window of time. We also live in a culture that encourages the reporting of bad news. It seems all we hear are bad reports and never hear of the good. Good news does not seem to make good news. Reports of dread and darkness make much better headlines and grab the attention of onlookers. Social media and television news have proven this out. When we expand our vision back even more broadly than the last 300 years, I fully believe that the general trend is improvement in the world. Sometimes the rate of growth is slower, and sometimes it is faster. Nonetheless, it is growing. This reality is why it is so critical for each Christian to let their light shine. In Matthew 5:14 through 16 Jesus says, "...you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand." and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light. Shine the light that is you so that people in the world can see your good works. Why is that important? By doing so, You give glory to our Father in heaven. In the Gospel of John, he writes regarding loving others. Our works manifest love. James writes that our works demonstrate that we have faith. James 2.24 We cannot separate doing from our faith. Faith propels our doing. It is by believers' works That the world can see God is at work. Therefore, followers of Christ cannot afford to keep to themselves. They must go forth and do good so that God gets the glory. Look beyond just our slice of time and see that God is making a big difference in the world we live in and that we get to be a part of that response. This is where we'll stop in this uh, recording. We will pick back up on the next episode under question three, which are, what are the birth pains discussed in the Bible, and what is the significance? We will see you on the next one. God bless.